Hey, it's Steve Rode, your Get Out of Deck guy for today, June 7th, 2022. Richard Fossey, a former law professor, shared a great post with us today asking why the Department of Education is forgiving big blocks of student loan debt, yet chasing people who are trying to file bankruptcy. The current Biden administration proposes some blanket student loan forgiveness for all debtors. In other words, all debt relief schemes now under discussion take it as a given that everyone, all 45 million borrowers, are honest and entitled to some debt relief. Fossey asks in his post why President Biden and congressional leaders advocate for massive student loan debt relief without examining each debtor's circumstances. In addition, why does the U.S. Department of Education continue harassing distressed college borrowers in the bankruptcy courts? That's an excellent question, and it just doesn't make any sense. A few months ago, a federal student loan debtor was prevented from having her student loans forgiven in bankruptcy. In Everson versus the Department of Education, Kimberly Everson took out student loans to get an associate degree in medical assisting from Bryant Stratton College, a for-profit institution. She obtained her degree and went to work as a medical assistant for various employers at an hourly rate of between $12.50 and $23 an hour. By the time she appeared in bankruptcy court, her student debt had grown to $45,000, including accrued interest. Judge Delano, a Florida bankruptcy judge, reviewed Ms. Everson's financial status in precise detail and refused to discharge her debt. Judge Delano pointed out that Ms. Everson went on to eat out occasionally, had a gym membership, and sometimes made purchases at a liquor store. He also heard evidence from the Department of Education that Ms. Everson was eligible for a long-term income-based repayment plan that would only require her to pay $48 a month on her $45,000 debt. In Judge Delano's opinion, Ms. Everson met two prongs of the three-prong Bruner test. First, it would be an undue hardship for her to pay off her student loans. Second, her precarious financial circumstances were not likely to improve due to factors beyond her control. Nevertheless, the judge refused to grant Ms. Everson a discharge because she failed the Bruner test's third prong, the good faith test. He believed Everson had not handled her student loans in good faith. Notably, Judge Delano pointed out that she had only made minimum payments on her loans over seven years. The Department of Education has forgiven $25 billion in student loan debt owed by more than a million people without subjecting any of those debtors to the onerous Bruner test. How many millions have gym memberships? How many go out to eat occasionally? And how many actually go to a liquor store? If you want to read the entire post, go to getoutofdebt.org slash 168446. Hi, Steve Rode, your Get Out of Debt guy. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to learn more about money, credit, and debt, or you're one of the many good people out there with bad debt and you want it to go away. But stick with me. Together, we can make that happen. Either way, I'm here for you 
and I believe a better and more financially successful future is ahead. It can be within your grasp. I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you find this or any of my podcasts helpful, please take a moment and leave a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Your feedback and opinion matter to me. And if I've done a good job, your review helps others to find the podcast as well. And while you're there leaving your review, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Last piece of housekeeping. If you have a question or comment you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast, you can leave me a voice message at getoutofdebt.org slash message. Or leave me a question for me to answer on my website by going to getoutofdebt.org slash question. Thank you so much for being a great listener, and I'm sending you a giant virtual hug in return. And now, on with the podcast. While we're talking about student loan issues, here's one that does not get enough attention. Parents drowning in federal parent plus loans. Almost 4 million parents owe more than $104 billion to help pay for undergraduate education at a wide range of schools. But about half of these loans go to help for-profit schools that have been heavily caught up in scams and schemes. With Parent Plus loans, the parent gets all the debt and liability and none of the benefit of any education. These Parent Plus loans are the riskiest of all federal student loans, but they're cloaked under the pretense of doing great things for your kids. After 10 years of repayment, the median Parent Plus debt has only been reduced by 55% of the starting balance. After 20 years of payments, the balances show that 38% of the starting balance remains. Parent Plus loans are generational debt and can easily follow a parent into retirement. Unfortunately, parents neglect or forget their duty to save for their own retirement. Under the assumption that they have to pay for college for their children who can't afford it, the parents spend more years paying off their Parent PLUS loans than the years they spent living and raising the child whose education their loan supported. This is nuts. In 2015, 40,000 disabled or retired Parent PLUS loan borrowers saw portions of their Social Security benefits withheld after defaulting on their loans. Parent PLUS debt makes up about one in 14 of all outstanding federal student loans. But the Government Accountability Office reports that one in three of the retirement-aged borrowers whose Social Security payments are offset had a Parent PLUS loan at some point in time. One in nine of those who saw their Social Security benefits offset in 2015 had held the loan 30 years or longer. Car loan default data is showing some interesting new trends. Generation Z and millennials today have auto loan delinquency rates that are significantly higher than their pre-pandemic levels. According to new data from the credit reporting agency TransUnion, Gen Z, which includes those born in 1995 and after, have a past due rate of 2.21%, compared with 1.75% before the pandemic. 
Likewise, millennials born between 1980 and 1994 have fallen behind on car payments at a rate of 2.14%, compared with 1.66% before the pandemic. We'll have to wait and see how the situation worsens as economic pressures increase on Americans. And speaking of millennials, a recent survey found that 3 out of 10 Americans making $250,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. The $250,000 plus income bracket roughly represents the top 5% of earners in the country. Millennials are more likely to experience this financial pressure than boomers. More than half of top earners in that millennial generation report having little left at the end of the month. The boomers are not immune to trying to make ends meet. Mobile home renters are thought of as a segment of the population with lower incomes and fewer alternatives. It's not surprising to find many mobile homes are owned by boomers but sit on rented land. And rents are exploding. For nearly 30 years, Virginia Rubio has lived in a trailer park in Forks, Washington, where monthly rent teeters around $350, but now it's shooting up to $1,000. Rubio, a retired home care aide who lives on food stamps and $860 in Social Security each month, says there's no way to make the math work. She owns the mobile home. She shares with her partner and adult daughter, but will soon have to give that up if she can't afford to rent the plot of land underneath it. About 20 million Americans live in a manufactured home, which makes up about 6% of U.S. residences. Mobile home prices range from less than $25,000 in Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio to more than $125,000 in Washington State. Overall, they tend to be three to five times cheaper than traditional single-family homes. But rising demand for affordable housing has put particular pressure on the market. Nationally, the average sales price of manufactured homes has risen nearly 50% during the pandemic, from $83,000 to $123,000. I have no idea what will happen to the disabled, elderly, or sick people booted from mobile homes because they can no longer afford to live there. But what I can guarantee is it's not going to be good. If you have a question to ask me, go to getoutofdebt.org slash question. I'm your get out of debt guy, Steve Rode. Remember, I believe in you, practice safe debt, and I'm sending you a big virtual hug. Bye-bye.